Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was married for 30 years in that relationship for 32, and we didn't find out until our 29th year of marriage that we were a neurodiverse couple. And I've been divorced since 2018, and together we have an amazing adult daughter who's doing great and thriving. And today I have another wonderful guest. I always say this about my guests, but I really do (laughs) feel I have wonderful guests. And I was just on his podcast, and Thomas Henley is all over social media, and he is just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And Thomas, I'm so glad that you're here on the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I, I found the uh, conversation that we had um, on my podcast really like interesting. And it's it's definitely something, relationships, things like that, it's definitely something that is a, has a little bit of a gap in terms of online stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but it's definitely something that people need to hear about and, and want to talk about. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And so, you know, I think we're we're in two different generations. You're in my daughter's generation. And I always tell people I'm 59, almost 60. And so I'd love if you would share a little bit about your story, like how you decided to start your podcast and, you know, what made you share your story and maybe even a little bit about your journey. Sure, sure. Um, So my name is Thomas, Thomas Henley, and uh, I'm from North Yorkshire in the UK. I basically, I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, what what it was called when I was younger, um, at about 10 years old, didn't really understand much about it other than the sensory social stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I got um, into adulthood, university, um, I quickly found that the transition to adulthood was very, very difficult. You know, when you're at school, you are surrounded by people, you know, your parents organize things, social communication, and interaction is available right. um, to you. Although it might not be the best, you know, and it, it wasn't for me, um, but it was there. And when I went to university, I really struggled um, with that. You know, I didn't really have a, any guidance. How do I find friends? How do I find a relationship? Right. Um, everything like that. And I, I started listening to a lot of um, other autistic people, particularly on Instagram about their experiences. And I actually found it to be, a lot more helpful than any of the research, the studies um, that I found. Um, and I, I wanted to share my experience in the initial and I started on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And um, it originally started as a you know way to express how I was feeling, you know, I was quite lonely. I was struggling a lot with mental health as many autistic people do. Mm-hmm. And um, I just got to a point where I, d- I just, you know, started to work on myself. I went to Thailand, I went abroad um, and it, quickly started to turn from uh, a platform for me to share about my experiences into something, you know, that I could share in, in, in my own self-improvement journey. Um, YouTube started to become a bit more um, on it. Um, I think about seven months ago, I started taking Instagram and my podcast and my learn stuff a little bit more seriously. And um, yeah, I mean, as far as the podcast goes, you know, I, I wanted an opportunity to talk to other people and learn from other people um, yeah. and work on my communication skills. Um, you know, something that you don't particularly get 
making YouTube videos. Yeah. And uh, it's been a very humbling journey. It's been great. I've got to talk to a lot of um, amazing people and uh, like yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I basically want, I want to be the person that I needed when I was younger. Oof. I didn't really have any role models. And, um, you know, yeah, I very I'd much like to talk about things that other people might might not talk about that might be a bit perhaps negative perhaps difficult to talk about perhaps a bit um depressing at times but i think it's very needed yeah. um and outside of that you know i do a lot of public speaking and i try to um basically be, be a little bit of an advocate for mm -hmm. autistic people to improve the life quality that um very much needed yeah oh my gosh thomas i love that and and i i think it's so wonderful that your generation has more resources that they can access but gosh do we have a long way to go and i think 100%. why you yeah why you and i have connected and enjoyed talking to each other so much is because i think we have a similar mission you know, me not knowing that I was in a neurodiverse relationship or marriage for 29 years is somebody that I loved dearly and still care about him. Um, and I had a child with, had a whole life with. And then when mm -hmm. I meet other couples, um, whether they're married or in a relationship for a while, and they listen to a podcast, which I'm sure happens with you folks that don't really know that they are autistic. They listen to a podcast or they hear your story and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah he's speaking about my life yeah. or she's speaking and about my life, right? It's really interesting, like the the internal family dynamics of things because yeah. like it's not it's not even that you'd be aware of it because like, your parents like or at least one of your parents will be um neurodivergent for me right. my dad's autistic um and so a lot of the, a lot of the things that you might confide in them about things that might be different to about you or the way that you experience things to other people you know you won't necessarily pick up that oh, okay i am different right. because they're the same you right. know and their their dad was the same and their <laughs> dad was the same you know so right it's um I think it's a lot to do with stigma as well. Um, yes. And I find that particularly with autism, with ADHD, you kind of have this kind of, oh, this um, excitable, hyperactive, kind of um, highly social, but a bit all over the place, fun person to be around. But with autism, it's very much like we are the the weird people, the <laughs> ones who don't know how to interact with people, the, you know, the ones who don't understand social cues and emotions and, you know, it's it's not a, not a very like shiny label that people are willing to um, yeah. give a lot of thought. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, when we met, I told you, I don't know that I would be diagnosed, but I absolutely have so many ADHD traits, and I think it drove my ex husband absolutely crazy. <laughs> And I've talked about that on the podcast. Um, we moved so many times, Thomas. I don't even know how many times we moved because when I got bored, I wanted to pack up and move. I have a sure. six page sure. resume. You know, I, you know, that's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But now I understand my neurotype. I understand, mm -hmm. you know, my family and, and that understanding is so critical, but then the acceptance piece is what totally. changes lives. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I really admire that you've, you know, you've, you've gone out there and sort of shared your, your story, shared like the things that you've, you've done 
perhaps not the best because um, I think there is a tendency with online work where we want to put like our best face at the front of things yeah. and quite often it's it can be a little bit like dissociating for people listening because people are not like golden you know the, these people that we you know you see on Instagram you see like people at their best kind of thing right. and you see the athletes on the podium you know everyone's very nuanced in in mm -hmm. their journey and I think just being able to say like oh hey I did this did this wrong and these things that I did good and and you know learn from my bad experiences um I think is really helpful Me and too. I think it's it's going to be really great to talk to you today and it was <laughs> great to talk to you the other day because I'm kind of coming at it from like a different angle you know yeah. I I've always had an absolute fascination with people who aren't autistic Mm. Um, like it's it's I think it's something to do with like the curiosity about like what what do they think how do they feel like why do they do these things it's like it's kind of like we're coming at from two different angles so I, I think love it's gonna it be really great yeah I, I love <laughs> it it's gonna be fantastic I already know and and the thing that I want to tell the listeners is I, I want to like validate what you just said for me doing the podcast was about being as real as I possibly can be. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that my ex-husband has not talked to me in two years. Um, mm -hmm. And his family has not talked to me in, it's been over two years. And um, they got mad at me about something that I posted and they would not have a conversation with me at all. Sure. And, sure. you know, that is the reality of some families when there are folks that don't want to accept, you know, that we're a neurodiverse family. My biological mm -hmm. family is a neurodiverse family. My ex's, mm -hmm. you know, family's a, a neurodiverse family. We all are. It's all over everywhere. And the fact right. of the matter is the more we can talk about our differences and understand where each other's coming from and truly love each other for mm -hmm. our differences, I think the better the world will be. But a lot of people aren't totally. ready for it, right? A lot of people are. I, I, I get it. I mean, I think to some people when you're, you know, particularly for me, like I'm, I'm very readily just happy to say if I think someone's autistic or not. Like, yeah. you know, I've, I've got like a few like live stream clips where I think I, I looked at this, this guy called Hassan, who's like a big streamer and um, he did an autism test and I was like, oh, you know, he does seem to be autistic. And I got some comments of being like, oh, it's pretty awful that you're kind of, you know, ascribing this, this disability or this neurodiversity on someone that you, you don't particularly know very well. But I think from my angle, I don't see it necessarily as a bad thing. Right. Like it doesn't necessarily change who that person is. Right. Um, and so I, I understand it because for people outside of that who kind of see it as a, as a negative thing or see it as um, some, something to be, you know, private, I guess. Yeah. Um, I can understand where they're coming from. I do. Yeah, um, I do too. I think sometimes I do need to kind of take a step back yeah. and be like, okay, you know. I, I get it. <laughs> you I do know, too. it's not a bad thing, but it's, you know. It's, I do too. And I guess for me, Thomas, um, I've kind of, I'm a social worker. So I've taken this on as my mission. Mm -hmm. If after 30 years of marriage, 
I went through everything that I went through and my ex went through everything that he went through. And our daughter went through a lot of stuff because she saw, you know, I used to call her in to translate for her father because I didn't get him. I just didn't get him. And she got him, you know, because they are more similar. And so it created a lot of, or I, put her in positions where she was responsible for communicating things to her father when I wasn't getting through. And we've had talks about it and, you know, I've told her I'll pay for therapy and whatever, but we mm-hmm. can joke about it now. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of families who are struggling. And I think when you understand that some of the struggles, not all of them, but some of them might be, co- be because you're not understanding each other's neurotype or neurology, it can make a difference. So that that helps us get into the next topic that I want to talk about, because you and I've talked about this. I'm 59 and I'm on the dating apps. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've been on the dating apps since my ex and I separated. We agreed we were going to date other people. And so I've been on just about everyone out there. And there's a lot of interesting people out there. And I know for me, going on the dating apps does not bring me a lot of anxiety. But I will tell you, Thomas, what does bring me some like there's questions in my head is when I'm talking to a guy and we're having a good conversation on the dating app and then they say they want to get together or they say they want to do a a video chat or Zoom call or whatever. Hmm. And then they're Hmm. gone and then they're gone the next day or in the night or whatever. And I'm like, where did they go? You know, they like deleted the conversation. And so I I told you this before, I do believe that a lot of the men that I'm talking to and who I see on the dating apps are autistic and don't know it. Mm -hmm. And um, there are just some things that I'm finding. And of course, I will tell them I have a podcast. It's called Neurodiverse Love. Check it out. And Thomas, at least a few of them have said, do you think I'm autistic? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, what what makes you ask that? And they're like, because I listen to your podcast. So I'd love to hear what your perspective is, because I know when we talked about it, I think you have a very different perspective and what you're experiencing is going to be really helpful for the Mm. listeners to Mm. hear. So what is your experience with dating apps and, and all of that? Well, it's it's a bit of a difficult one because I think you know the 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 idea of dating has very much changed and it's it's a lot different nowadays. Um, it tends to be a lot based on um, your looks, your mm-hmm. aesthetics, and so you know sometimes for for a lot of people actually it can be very difficult to even get matched with people. Yeah, um, I know a lot of guys who you know they're pr- pretty you know, okay, kind of average looking guys, if I can mm-hmm. say, yeah. if that doesn't sound awful. No, um, but yeah, they, they, they get like maybe one match every two weeks or something, and then they don't reply to them. And it's like, it's pretty much a lead for, for them, like going out and using these apps. And, you know, a lot of these people, you know, not everybody has the, the battery or the desire to go out into lots of public places and be exposed to different people. And, have conversations and and walk up to people and introduce yourself like it's a lot mm-hmm. um i think you no know, particularly particularly for me um i 
I find that d- dating in general nowadays, it's very, very much um, low investment. You know, mm-hmm. pe- people are very aware that if they want to, or if something doesn't feel completely 100% great, um, and they, they can't be bothered uh, trying to work on a relationship, trying to fix it, you know, it's very easy for them to just kind of hop back on, find someone someone else, go on a few dates, right. find another person. You know, you get that kind of serial monogamy kind of <laughs> yeah. aspect to it, um, which I don't think is helpful for anybody sort of long term. But it's it's very much something that occurs nowadays. Um, yeah. And how about I, I, I totally agree. And so I, I wish I wish we could have like um a meter on these dating apps and it would go off. Like if the person says in their dating app that they're looking for a relationship, but actually what they want is just sex or, you know, something really casual. Mm. I think sometimes men will put into their dating profile, especially as they get older, that they want a relationship because they think they're going to get more women to respond than if they just say, I just want something casual. And I do remember one of the guys I went out with, he was very clear in his dating profile. He said something like, um, I I want something casual. I want to have sex two or three times a week. Are you up for it? <laughs> and I loved that. <laughs> I loved yeah, that. Yeah, that, that would not work. That like for, <laughs> for, for Yeah, that I, I can't I can't imagine what kind of replies or, or anything that I would get if I was to to do you know. If I was looking for, for that kind of thing, then. Yeah. Uh, who knows, Thomas? <laughs> I, I think sometimes people are looking for that clarity. I don't know. But I just think for those folks that are looking for a relationship, if you're looking for a relationship, that is going to take some back and forth conversations. So sure. being that you're autistic and you mm-hmm. know what your limits are, is there anything you can advise those folks who are dating and maybe finding that they're having these good conversations with people for a day or two and then they're gone or for those that are autistic and attempting to date and finding it extremely draining to have Mm. online texting conversations Mm. do you have Mm. any thoughts or recommendations on that i think you know for for a lot of people it is a a numbers game in a Mm. sense you know perhaps yeah, if you, for example, over the course of a month, a couple of months, you know, maybe you match with a hundred people, you know, and maybe only ten percent of those people chat to you or talk mm-hmm. to you, right? Um, and maybe maybe quite a lot of them, like five percent of them, sort of drop off and they don't, they're not really interested. Um, and then you know, perhaps you might get one or two percent. You might get one or two dates from that kind of two months of using whatever dating app you're going on right um and just being aware i think for me just being aware that that is a a very high possibility that you know people will flake a lot and it will most likely not lead to anything when you have a conversation with someone it it kind of tempers you a little bit to as as well also treating this person like they are potential rather than you know, like a prize that you have to kind of run after and, you know, they start talking to you and you immediately have to like set plans and this, you know, you have to be like like ultimate social god (laughs) kind of person. (laughs) 
Yeah. Because even if you did do all of that stuff, it's not necessarily the case that every single person is going to be like, yeah, let's let's go out for a date or something. Yeah. Um, being aware of that, I think, is very important. Um, you know, you've got to you've got to treat these people that you meet like a stranger who has the potential to be a long term partner, not um, automatically kind of if you have conversations with them, if you have a date, with, even if you have one date with them. If you have, um, you know, a video chat with them, being aware that it's like to anything, I think, and and also treating them like a, a friend and and potentially not something that you'd be interested in. I think it it does two things. It stops you from getting too invested and sort of chasing them and being too needy and and things like that. But also, um, it, it helps your sanity as well. Yes, you know. It, you <laughs> yeah. don't take things as personally like yes. um it's it's just the way that things things are on these these kind of social media apps Some, most people don't even want to meet up with people they just yeah. like the fact that people are liking them and want to talk to them yeah it's a big dopamine rush right when you get when you get the likes and everything that was great great advice and i think the more people just use this as an opportunity to maybe you know, text with somebody, get to know somebody, maybe do a video chat, maybe meet in person and yeah. see if it's and somebody not yeah. sure about it. You just, yeah. you know, you, as you should be, you don't know this person. They don't right. Know you, you know? Right. Um, and there's a lot of scammers, Thomas, women and yeah. men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you want to address that all? I know at all. I know you had said you were, you were, um, hearing about that or listening to a YouTube video or, or mm, something. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I was, you know, I, I've been online and I, I like to watch a, diff, a lot of different content from a lot of different places. You know, I'm very into sort of personal development, self-growth and an aspect to that, particularly, you know, on places like YouTube is uh, relationships, um, mm -hmm. dating, you know, have ver a varied um, array of different people, most most often not very helpful <laughs> um <laughs> other times can be quite good but it's it's more of kind of a holistic like your your attitude to dating um may not like improve your results or anything like that but there is a subsection of the community which um that i've seen and this is the kind of like the the pickup artist community mm -hmm. um which you know for whether it's for casual dating whether it's for finding a relationship, you know, these people give you um, clear outlines on and how to basically game your way into getting a date with somebody or how to say the right things, how to um, read people and do the right thing. And I, I was thinking about it and I was like, <sighs> I, get, I get it. People want this. It, it feels very much like an attempt to make something that is very emotional, social, um, very not logical into something logical that people can kind of learn from and follow. Mm. Sounds very much like an autistic kind of yeah. <laughs> something that's come from like the, the um, <laughs> a lot of autistic people who perhaps may not have the kind of, you know, the natural social gifts that, that many, right. many people can be born with um, or, or at least you know, it might be something that 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 they've they've worked on a little bit, but perhaps not as much as as myself and and, and other people that I know. Um, so I think it's it is it 
might be something that has come out of you know like the the autistic male communities and stuff yeah, um, as a way sense. of understanding navigating these arenas um i don't know if it's something that's particularly a, go a good skill to learn because i think it you know whenever you whenever you try to provide logic and and ways to to do things um you you automatically kind of feel a bit sort of emotionally detached from mm -hmm. you know what's happening i guess which um you know i'm not going to say that i did i haven't like tried to learn from it especially like during you know my early 20s yeah uh, very much into under trying to understand all this stuff and try it out and, and see what happens and um but it's it, it very much just always just you know sometimes the people tell you to to, to act a certain way uh, which may not be the way that you are and right. um at some point you're gonna feel like this person doesn't like you uh, they just like this kind of game that you're playing with them. It's, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's, yes. it's not not the best, um, I would say. Oh, my gosh, Thomas, this is so important for the listeners to hear, because I was actually listening to a podcast and it's two women in their 30s because I listen to tons of podcasts and they were talking about these men out there that are teaching other men how to be pickup artists and sure. yeah sure. and and i think yeah for those folks that are are really looking for a relationship and think that using logic and reason and a script that the whether they're podcasters or youtube mm. um folks are saying are critical and will help you get women but what happens when you're in that relationship and you're starting to get physically or sexually intimate and they haven't talked about that? Or you're talking about maybe moving in together and they haven't talked about that. Yes, there might be some skills you can learn from the beginning of the relationship. But mm. then what happens when, you know, you're starting to get more serious or it's beyond more than a first the first few dates? So are I you're going to change into yourself, yeah. aren't you? And you're going to you're right. going to change basically and right you know those those rules that you've kind of put in place for yourself it's not always yeah it's not always the best and and the funny thing is is that you know i i've tried to understand this and you know online dating i think can be um like it can be hard for for women in a sense that um you don't really know what what the guy is going to be like it might be um dangerous in some respects he might be fake he might be looking for something else right um but i guess on the other side it's for men you know a lot of dudes don't get matches they don't talk to people they don't go out on dates like the majority of men and um it can be really hard and and it's very attractive to hear someone talking about all the amazing secrets to understanding women and navigating relationships right um but the the most success that i've ever had using online dating is when i've been me um when i've shared things like in my bio that are um about me even if it's stuff to do with autism even if it's stuff to do with like pokemon or anime or like things mm -hmm. like that um a lot of people don't they don't want to put that stuff out they don't, they don't want to talk and and mention that they've you know gone to uh you know like see the barbie movie or like gone to um 
a comic con um, you know, the, or yeah they're sensitive sensitive or they've been watching anime today or like and, yeah. and some people might not respond great to that and fair enough but the 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 right person the person who's into that as well like it's 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 very likely that they're going to be like oh this is you know this could be a person that i get on with very well yeah um so it's just about remembering that and uh not not trying to impress everybody i guess i agree I agree. And, and Thomas, this is the one thing, I mean, thank you for sharing all that. And by the way, I'm going to see the Barbie movie this week, so I'm excited. But um, the, the thing that I hear over and over again, when I do the neurodiverse couples support groups and the support groups with the neurotypical non-autistic folks, and it's mostly women. The one thing that I hear is when we first started dating, my, my partner, my husband was this person and then when we moved in with each other or we started getting serious mm -hmm. they became a different person and this is a perfect i mean the conversation we're having is so important for people to hear because you know where did your partner get information about what they were supposed to do on the first second seventh date is it something yes. they read yes. is it from a rom-com is it from their favorite tv show None yeah. of that is real, right? So, hmm. so you know, I don't know how we change this trajectory. I, I know it's not going to happen in my time, but, you know, yeah. you, you may be involved in this. Um, there's got to be a better way for folks who are looking for relationships and they don't necessarily know how to be their most authentic self in a way that would be comfortable for others who have similar interests or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the critical piece. Because to be honest with you, I think my ex-husband was masking for 29 years. I think yeah. he stopped mas masking when he moved out of our house and we separated in 2016. I really do. Because he found part of his tribe and one mm. of the people he found was somebody he had worked with who I kept trying to connect the two of them because I knew they were the same person. You know, they were like, <laughs> they were, he was a younger version of my ex-husband and they yeah. actually became best friends, Thomas. Mm. And I think, you know, they're both, they're both um, on the spectrum. So, but they, they didn't understand how to build that friendship. And sure. so I'm sure, you know, when my ex was dating, you know, because we both were during the separation, um, I'm sure he had his challenges. I mean, we didn't really talk mm. about it, but um, because really he and I had been together for 32 years. So. Sure, sure. Yeah. So any think, thoughts on that? You know, yeah. what you were saying about like, you know, how can you you really find someone like a man that's that's good if you if you're a woman looking for a looking for a dude. Um I'd very much say, look for the people who talk to you like a human being. Mm. Like, um, if they, if it's, it might be a little bit boring, actually, you know, the people who just, you know, they'll message you back in like 10 minutes or something when you message them, they'll have conversations with you, they want to talk to you, they want to have a call, um, they share things about their day that and that is not particularly exciting, but they're still sharing it anyway. I'd say that that rewarding that I think is is really useful, like yeah. because you know um, that 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 kind of goes counter to 
a lot of the the information that's put up there from from like the kind of the the male communities on YouTube because um you re you really do want to look for someone who just genuinely like wants to connect they just they just want to share things about themselves they want to ask you about your things um your things that have happened with you um and I, I've experienced this firsthand you know particularly with my my best friend you know um you know she was she was kind of uh, single and she was kind of looking for somebody to have like a, a nice person that she can have a long-term relationship with she was like initially put off by um kind of the, the niceness of this one particular person mm. um and she wasn't really sure it just kind of felt a bit a little clunky it wasn't like um particularly ex like necessarily get this exciting kind of roller coaster of like jokes and you know digs right. and things like that right um but you know she i i encouraged her to give this person a chance and you know they've they're now getting married they have a house mm -hmm. together Yay. um but that that that's that's the thing and it's it can be you know i found myself as well you know it tends to be the people who you know you find very attractive that kind of don't really give you much that inspires some level of mystery or intrigue you know yeah. perhaps they'll text you back for it really quickly on on one day and then they'll they'll take like a week to respond to your next text message you know stuff like that um it's that's, exhausting that's you, yeah um <laughs> it's exhausting it's exciting but it and it and it captivates your attention a lot like it's it's extremely like you, you're almost trying to get validation from this person Mm -hmm. that they like you yeah. um and that that's not the best thing that is not a good thing like you want to be looking for the people who are upfront they talk to you like a human and uh you know you chat to them and you take things slow and you see how things go and that's right. that's that's the way that you do it yeah um although it can be boring yeah, I 100% agree with you. I want boring. <laughs> I, want yeah. who, I want somebody who can laugh with me, but I want that boring. You know, I, I've had too many men that I've dated that were major dopamine hits for me. I'm not looking for that anymore. But, but what you say is so important because I think that's what attracts a lot of the women that come to my support groups and even the couples to their partners, their autistic partners initially is the stability because they come from all these other relationships where, mm. you know, maybe they were with somebody who was a little bit more toxic or, you know, a little bit less connected to them. And then they're with a partner who may not know they're autistic and they're a great listener. They may mm. not communicate as much as, you know, the non-autistic holistic person, but they're mm. a great listener and they do add a lot to the conversation, but it's it when they speak, the words are very poignant, but they may not say mm. a lot. And they feel like the difference between them and all the other men that they went out with is very attractive. So yeah. one of yeah. yeah. In the, in a long in a long term thing, yeah, I think in in the short term, it's not very exciting, and you you might feel the need to immediately kind of just think of them as a friend, yeah. But like actually going through that period of time, um, if if you know that it might not not be something, and and just seeing if it is something, uh, I think a lot of the time you'll find that these, you know, that they're they're the kind of person that you do want to be with long term, and that will 
not play all these games and do all these these crazy things um yeah yeah definitely I so agree. And so let's talk about like when you're actually in the relationship, right? Because mm-hmm. I see this over and over again, the miscommunication. And you and I have talked about this where, mm-hmm. you know, you may be very specific, concise, maybe blunt in what you're saying to me. And I take oh. it personally and I'm like, oh, well, you're a jerk. How could you say that to me? You know, I did that mm-hmm. often with my ex-husband. And then understanding that, you know, I have a different communication style. My ex-husband had a different communication style. And probably I've dated mostly autistic men since my separation and divorce. <laughs> I realized that I could not expect the men I was with who might be a different neurotype to have the same communication style. So taking things personally, which I did for 32 years. Especially long term. (laughs) Yeah. um, Would really screw me up. So stopping that was so important. And still, you know, sometimes I get, you know, tripped up. Hmm. But let's Hmm. talk a little bit about the miscommunication because it's such a difficult thing in any relationship. But when you understand that it's a breakup. Yeah. Let's talk about that. What What is your perspective and what has been your experience when you're with somebody and they're not understanding there's like a just miscommunication? Hmm. I think um, the, the main thing that, you know, as you said about the directness, I think yeah. um, a good way of ex- explaining it is that, you know, perhaps those, those nonverbal, like, it's, it's not that we have different thoughts to people like, you know, right. we have the same thoughts in relationships that, that many people would. Um, it's just the way that we express them, you know, mm-hmm. like perhaps if you were a bit upset about the way that someone's treated you in a situation or something that they've done or anything like that, perhaps a lot of people might be very indirect about that. They may take their attention away from you. They may um perhaps be moody with you um they might you know it try, try trying to make it visible that it it wasn't something that they like right through indirect means right whereas when you're dating someone who is autistic and they're not masking and you know they are kind of direct and upfront um they'll, they'll let you know like and that they'll say it like plainly and right. um I think for a lot of people, they associate that directness and the, the plainness of it as like the extreme, like um, this is only something that you do when you're really upset with somebody. Right. But it's, it is just, we just cut out the indirect stuff and we, we just go straight for the direct. And um, it doesn't m- mean that it's this extreme situation that requires us to be blunt and to be a bit harsh with our words. Um, it's literally just we're, we're communicating it directly first rather than indirectly. I think that that is going to be so helpful for the listeners to hear because I can tell you this is one of the biggest challenges for those folks that have been together 10, 20, even 30 years and they've mm. gotten mad at their autistic partner. This is, you know, they didn't know about, they didn't know they were a neurodiverse couple 
and they are trying to heal from all that pain they experienced because they thought their partner was being mean when, oh, yeah. when their partner was just being themselves and didn't and, mean and honesty, anything. Yeah. Right. They didn't mean anything. And and I, I went through this with my ex-husband. Now I understand it. So every man that I've dated who um, is autistic, when they're blunt, in, and I'm not sure if their intent was to be mean, I will say, you know, I'll kind of repeat back kind of some reflective listening. Did you mean this? Am I understanding that you meant this? Is, is this correct? And then they'll yeah. go, yeah. And then it's over. But if I if I had carried over from my marriage everything that I took personally and I had carried that over into every dating situation, oh my gosh, Thomas, I would be a basket case dating. I would yes, I would yeah. probably give up dating forever. <laughs> hmm. Because there are just too many autistic men that I'm meeting. No, I shouldn't even say too many. There are so many autistic men that I'm meeting that are amazing. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity to hmm get to know them and date them if I didn't have this knowledge about different neurotypes and different ways of communicating. Yeah. I know I feel with with the directness of things like I'm trying to think of a good example like um, perhaps you're in a restaurant and um, you're very close to each other um, they may have some hypersensitivity to sound you're speaking very loudly you're laughing loudly um, they might say you know, you're being too loud. Could you mm -hmm. lower your volume a little bit, please? Like, it's yes. it's almost it's almost like a lot of a lot of people just are, are trying to read around the situation. Like, what did they actually mean by that? Are they saying that my voice is not very nice? Do they hate my voice? Right. Am I like? Do do they think that I'm just a very intense person? And you know, there's all these things that that come about when when someone says something. Yes. Um, that, you know, in any other context, it might be like, you know, they do actually mean those those indirect things. But for us, it literally just means, would you be able to talk quieter? Right. <laughs> you know, and oh, um, that was a that, that, that's example. the beauty of it. That's yeah. that's the beauty of it because although we are being direct, it is we are just saying exactly what we're thinking and we're feeling. There's no outside context to it. Uh, you know yeah. it's just it's just literally that and so if you can deal with literally that and you just take it as that it's not an issue it's just you know right you, you're wondering like what does what does that mean what does that mean like why are they saying that <laughs> right I can't tell you how many times I did that in my marriage and I used to my ex used to get me cards because when we would use words when we would have a conversation we kept getting in these you know, fights because mm, we weren't, mm. we weren't on the same, you know, we weren't on the same page. And so he would get me the most beautiful cards. And I've mentioned this several times on the podcast that were so filled with poetic words. He was able to go to the card store and get what he had wanted to say, what his intent was, right? Mm. But because he was so blunt or because he didn't have all the flowing, you know, emotions when he spoke, um, I would get hurt. I would take it personal. And these cards, Thomas, I've saved every single card he gave me because they are literally, and he even wrote songs to me and poems. Mm. And, and, and mm. he mm. was able to, with the written word, whether it was his words or somebody else's, 
explain exactly well, how he written, felt and what he meant. Yeah, go written ahead. word is inherently direct. Like yeah, um, yeah. It's it's only it's only a an anxiety producing thing when it's not direct. It's it's and and I suppose that's one of the things that I struggled the most with 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 online dating, texting, things like that. I really hate it because I know that there is more context to what someone's saying. It's not literally just the words that they have, unless they're autistic. Yeah. Um, and then it is, and then that's that's cool. But um, it's trying to like read the situation with just absolutely no context of it, no idea of what their emotions might be saying that thing. Um, I'm a big proponent for people using tone indicators and emojis. Like, mm. if, if possible, I will ask people, please use emojis with me, or else I don't know how you're saying something. <laughs> That's great. That's so good. And I know for a lot of the neurodiverse couples that come to my support group, I always do recommend to talk about what is the best way to communicate with each other when there's an emotional issue or a big decision that needs to be made. And I can't tell you, Thomas, it's almost probably 100% of the autistic partners will say, I'd rather you send me an email or a text. Hmm. And um, yeah, they say, you know, clear, concise and using emojis. So I, I'm really glad you said that because I think it's going to be, you know, very validating to folks. But you know what? For us folks who are not autistic, having things in writing just feels like our our emotions and, you know, our, our idea of romance is not a value. And that's mm. not the case, right? So can we talk a little bit about alexithymia because i know that's sure, an area sure. of expertise for you and you know sometimes i hear this again from you know folks in the couple support group i don't know what i'm feeling the autistic yes. partner will say yeah. right so share totally. a little bit about what you think would be helpful for folks to hear about alexithymia and mm. how that can impact a relationship in a negative way but maybe if they shift their thinking and understand things differently, it can change from it's not a negative, it's just part of how my brain functions and how I deal with emotions or feelings. Well, I, I suppose a good place to start would be, you know, what why is it? Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, go ahead. It, it is a difficulty noticing, um, identifying, categorizing your own emotions. And, um, it's present in over about 80% of autistic people. So it's a very heavy amount of people who also are alexithymic that are autistic. So very important thing to understand, not really talked about a lot, very important in the context of interpersonal relationships, um, therapy, everything like that. I base, I like to describe it as kind of like a threshold condition. Um, it might be a bit, weird to apply percentages to emotions but if we take something like anxiety that's you know from from zero being completely serene calm you know meditative even up mm -hmm. to 100 which is meltdown panic okay. attack can't okay. function okay um perhaps most people they'd be able to tell when they're 20 30 40 percent anxious and be like hey i'm anxious yeah um for us might be 70, might be 80, 90%, especially definitely 90% when we're younger. Um, and so that makes it very difficult for us to regulate our emotions actively. 
because we're, we're not necessarily aware of how we're feeling, mm-hmm. how, how bad we're feeling, for example. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the interesting things about it is, is it also makes us very good in emergency situations because mm-hmm. we're very <laughs> detached. <laughs> yeah, we're very yep, yep. detached from those anxiety feelings and until later. And a common experience for autistic people who are alexithymic is that we will not know how we feel in the moment, but we will know how we feel a day from now or two days or three days or a week. Right. And um, if something upsets us within a relationship and we don't know how we feel, we, we don't necessarily put the boundary in place right then and there. So it almost feels like you might get these long text messages about something that happened a week ago um, or two weeks ago that they didn't like and they want to bring it up again. It's like they're, they're trying to ignite the fire again, but it's it's literally just that they, had, you know, they want to put a boundary in place that they couldn't because they didn't know how they feel. Mm. Um, so that that's one aspect to it. Another thing that I think is really like, super super important um especially interpersonally in relationships is that we will explain our emotions um but not necessarily express them and Mm. what that might look like is it's it's emotional expression versus emotional explanation Mm -hmm. you know i might say oh i've had such a hard day at work it's just been so hard and i just can't cope but it's just you know it's just awful um you know, if I would say, oh, today has been awful and I can't cope and it's been really difficult, um, just just, just plainly, uh, with no emotional tonality yeah. changes, body language, anything like that, yeah. people don't really take you as seriously. Right. Um, but for us, that means the exact same thing as the first way that I said it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you communicate with autistic people about how you're feeling, um, a lot of the time, the best way that you can do that is to describe how the emotion makes you feel and why you feel that and, you know, what it, what it might relate to about what they've felt. Um, and so so there's a lot more like dialogue, a lot more direct communication about the feelings rather than the expression of it around what you're talking about. Um, so that, that I think that's a really key thing. Yeah. especially if yes. you're trying to get across how you're feeling to somebody yes if you're detailed about it verbally using words they probably have a better chance of understanding where you're coming from than um using that emotional expression Ugh. thomas that is going to be i can just imagine those folks that are listening either with their partner or themselves they're listening by themselves and they're like oh my gosh Oh my gosh, I get it now. The light bulbs going to go <laughs> off. Because one of the things that I use in the couples group is the emotion wheel. The, some people call it the mm. feelings wheel, right? And that's, sure. it's it's a good tool, but it, it's not the greatest tool, I think, for autistic individuals. And I'd love to hear your thoughts because, mm. you know, when folks say, I don't know when I'm really happy. I don't know. But I know when I am watching my favorite show that I am really relaxed or I feel Absence good. of negative. Experience. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, you know, being a, an holistic person, I'm like, what? I don't get it. How could you not know when you're happy? But listening to your partner and accepting that that is a really different 
area for both of you and both of you are right and both of you need to respect how emotions are felt or not felt Mm -hmm. or experienced or not experienced can be a game changer can be a game changer right and you you can you can think about it in in a situation where you know in this relationship both people may feel unheard like you hear about this concept called cassandra syndrome yes yes um from one side from the neurotypical side of things you might be expressing all of these emotions and it just being completely not understood or just not um, processed not validated not anything from your autistic partner and then we might feel that when we're really struggling with something and we find something really difficult um within the relationship or, or outside that we're not really heard because we don't have those emotional expressive elements to it that make you really take seriously what we're saying right um, absolutely so it's it's a it's a double empathy thing you know it's <laughs> yeah um and, and it's, it's difficult to, nav- to navigate it's difficult for the neurotypical partner yeah it's difficult for the autistic person yes and it's not their fault it's, right. it's not your fault it's not their fault it's just something that you just gotta keep in mind you just gotta recognize um and just just be a bit you know perhaps you know as we said before we started chatting patient right. and uh really try to understand what that person is communicate trying to communicate with you yeah i couldn't agree more and i say to the couples you know if your child was trying to communicate something to you and you didn't understand where they were coming from like they said that something you know with a friend didn't make sense or whatever would you get angry at them because Mm. they weren't able to articulate it in a way that Mm. you felt um, comfortable or the way in which you would articulate it no most parents would search for, they would, they would prompt, they would delve deeper, they would ask questions, they would be curious. And I think mm. that is one of the most important things that I have learned after my divorce is that I am curious in the relationships that I've been in since because I know our brains are wired differently. I like this person, I care about this person, and I want to understand them better. But I, I can't do it without compassion. I have to have compassion as I would with my child if I was trying to get, you know, deep with, with understanding of something that my daughter maybe was going through. And she, she had challenges explaining to me things. She's much more like her father in that way. Um, and so I'll ask questions. But the thing that I've also learned, Thomas, and you can, you can share your thoughts on this is, um, I can be a big time questioner, you know, so like I would ask my ex-husband 20 questions or I'll ask my daughter, you know, five questions and she'll, she's got great boundaries now. I'm so proud of her. She'll say, mom, no matter how many ways you ask me, no matter how many times you <laughs> ask me, I don't have any more information to share. So, sure. you know, bombarding your partner with a lot of questions questions if you're curious probably isn't helpful but maybe taking a pause and thinking okay what was different about this that caused me to get triggered or angry or not have compassion for them oh they have I know they have alexithymia I know they don't feel emotions and and feelings the way I do what question maybe one maybe two can I ask where they can help me understand what they're going through does that 
does that resonate at all? Or do you have any other thoughts on that? Because this is a big yeah. one. Yeah. And I think, you know, perhaps in a in a setting where both parties are, you know, wanting to 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 do that, that would work. I think in a lot of situations, you know, life is not always like that. You know, you may be watching a TV show, you may be cooking, you may be stressing to get out of the door in the morning. Um, you may have some other things that you need to tend to, some work. Um, you may need to regulate, you know, there's there's a lot of things which sometimes uh, just having, as I said, like an air of patience around approaching something that can be really useful. Because as, as I've said, you know, um, alexithymia, with, with alexithymia, sometimes it takes us a while to um, understand how we feel about something. Right. And, could be a week. It could be a week. And I hear this yeah. over and over again. And, and, and sometimes we may just feel bad and right. we just don't know. It could be very obvious to you they feel bad because they went to the supermarket and you know there was dogs everywhere there was everyone was so busy there was lots of noises lots of music they looked very overstimulated they come home and they're like i feel bad right um and you're like why do, why do you feel bad it's like right I, I don't know i just feel bad um and that and that's because we don't because we don't feel that instantaneous or identify that instantaneous emotion Mm-hmm. It's very, very difficult for us to connect it to events that have happened. Mm. So, and that that's another thing that's really important. Because yes. <laughs> it's happened to me a lot um, in the past where I've got angry. I've got upset. I've like been grumpy. Mm-hmm. And it's come across as me being passive aggressive because they've asked me, why are you angry at me? Why are you upset with me? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Why I'm upset with you? I don't want to talk about it um, because I don't know. I don't know how to communicate exactly how I feel about this, and it's very overstimulating for me. I don't really want to approach this now. I'd prefer to think about it and get back to you. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not always um, greeted with open arms. <laughs> no, it Especially wasn't in, in my marriage. In my marriage, I yeah. just screamed. I'm like, "You can't talk to me now. Why?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um and and, and I, I genuinely did not connect what's happened with sure. how I was feeling sure. in the moment. So sure. I, I, I literally just I didn't know. I didn't even know that I was angry, that I was expressing uh, outward signs of frustration or grumpiness or anything like or it, irritability. Um it was just, you know, it flew under the radar for me and I only picked it up when you know a few days later. Right. And it felt it felt very personal to your partner. I guarantee you not knowing your partner. And and yeah. that is, again, it was being difficult. Right. And, and you even said passive aggressive. So I felt the same thing in my marriage. Like, I remember when my ex would come home from work and I'd be like, how was your day? And he would look at me and go, fine, with an attitude, I thought. <laughs> and yeah. and if we had known we were a neurodiverse couple, I probably wouldn't have talked to him for an hour after he came into the house. Right. You know, he needed yeah. his decompression time. Wind down. Right. Process the day. <laughs> right. And I don't need that, you know? So I was assuming that he could respond in the way I would respond. And I know we all do that. Um, I do remember once, I think it was when we were in therapy or something. And my, my ex-husband said to the therapist, I want to be with somebody 
who can just sit on the front porch with me and be silent. (laughs) And, and I, of course I started crying and I got very emotional. I'm like, what? You don't want to talk. And so now I understand because when you're overstimulated, it's, and, and here's Mona with all these ADHD traits wanting to engage, you know, nonstop and have very animated conversations. Oh my gosh. I overwhelmed my ex so many times in 32 years and I know it. And I've apologized Thomas many times by text and email. So, so thank you so much for the alexithymia information, defining it, giving examples. And I think we've talked about, you know, some ways couples could, um, you know, be more compassionate, more patient and understand, again, it's not personal. It's that you're, you have different neurotypes and you handle these things differently. And if you can talk about it, if you can pause when one or both of you is angry Mm. and talk about it when you're calm and your nervous system is more regulated, And maybe it starts with a text or an email, but, or maybe it starts with a nice Mm. card, like my ex got me often. But um, I also do know that sometimes, you know, the neurotypical partner wants to hear the words. And if you're not able to say the words, I think you can say that I don't have the words. I know you're looking for the words, but I don't have the words. Mm. And, you know, I love you, but I don't have the words. And, And, you know, as well, I think most people... You know, our, our level of emotional vocabulary can vary widely, like not even if it's autistic or not, you know. Yeah. The, there's so many ways of expressing how you feel and everyone experiences emotions so subjectively and has their own ideas of certain emotions. Like we could get into a lot of, lot of stuff yeah. around hate and love, you know, yeah. means different things for a lot of different people. That's um, true. That's and true. it's very subjective and it's kind of like you just decide you're in an emotion you explain that you're in that emotion it might not be the best description of how you're feeling you know yeah yeah um, and i'd say that the, the the really important thing is you know as you said patience but also um if you're in a relationship with someone and it's long term and they're invested in you assume that they are coming from good intentions oh. um and if they're yeah. not coming from good intentions and it turns out that, that, you know, it is bad intention that they have, you know, they're wanting to hurt you or they're doing something like that, then then you'll find that out. But it, but a lot of the time, if you are invested in someone and they're invested in you, um, it could just be anything from a neutral statement to something that was just um, not necessarily like, Meant, meant to have a negative impact and might just be like a flippant thought that they have that you know they haven't really done done much analysis on I guess <laughs> yeah no that's again this just this conversation that we're having you know across so many different issues is going to be so helpful to lots of folks I know it is because I don't think that I've talked about this at the level that you and I are talking about it and it's these are these are some of the most serious challenges in long-term oh, relationships. Yeah, where there's so much hurt, Thomas, but it's mm. unintentional, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because of the miscommunication, because of the, the yeah. alexithymia. And there's another area that I want to talk about and we said we would address because the piece about empathy. Mm. And, you mm. know, I try to educate folks about the different types of empathy, But when you're in the situation and you feel like your partner isn't empathizing with you in the way you want them to, 
but they don't exactly know what you're looking for and you haven't had the conversation about we may experience empathy very different that doesn't mean that I don't feel things or experience things that um you know are Hmm. are sensitive or caring or whatever we just have different different types of empathy so I know cognitive empathy was something you wanted to talk about and I'd love to hear your perspective because again Hmm. Thomas it's going to it's going to be like light bulbs going off in people's heads yes um and I I think this very much ties into what we were talking about with emotional explanation and expression and direct communication you know um cognitive empathy is the ability to um, notice someone is in an emotional state. Mm-hmm. A lot of autistic people, we have a sense for when things are not normal and that something's changed, something's shifted. But the reason for that or the emotion that's felt is not apparent to us a lot right. of the time. Right. Um, one thing that I tell autistic people to do is to probe and ask about it. Hopefully... In that situation, the other person tells them exactly what they're feeling and why they're feeling it. Mm-hmm. It's not always the case. Right. <laughs> um, so, so you have to have they're that angry, especially if they're angry yes. because they didn't yes. get the response that they wanted immediately, which happened yes. often in my marriage. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, the, the other aspect of, of empathy is the adaptive part of things, which... You know, there's there's lots of different things around about different types of empathy that people have, but um, I think that those two are the the most important. The adaptive being um, giving the appropriate emotion um, emotional response or behavior to how someone's feeling, mm-hmm. um, and or, or or just the ability to actually feel what that person might be feeling as well. Right. Um, and and caring about that person, so that that's the kind of the the adaptive part of things. And autistic people don't struggle with the adaptive side of things, but we do struggle with the cognitive side of things. Mm-hmm. And there are some people out there who you know made posts on that and saying, "Oh, we do have cognitive empathy," and and yes, it is actually something a skill that people can learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my experience, even though I've done a lot of work in trying to understand these things. Um, especially in emotionally complex situations where you're you're with somebody in a romantic relationship or any type of relationship, there's a lot more different elements at play than there would be with perhaps a stranger. That, right. You know, it would be very apparent what the, what they may be feeling about things. Right. Um, it's a lot more nuanced in those interpersonal situations. Yeah. And um, you know, I I, I think. What, what's important to, to remember is that, um, you know, you have a lot of situations where neurotypicals um, or people who are autistics, people who aren't autistic, um, may feel is that we don't care. Right. How are you feeling? Right. You know, you get home, you're kind of expressing all these emotions. You're not getting any response. They're, they're just, they're watching TV still. They're mm-hmm. do, playing on the phone still. Right. They're looking up at you, seeing you like that, and then looking straight back at the phone. Um, sometimes if if the person is very open and you've kind of built those communication lines, they might be like, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, as, as I said, you would say 
exactly how you feel and right. why. <laughs> right, right. Um, so it, it provides, it's, it's, it's a very big difficulty and a lot of autistic people can actually feel a lot of anxiety around it because um, we, as I said, we know that something's different, um, but we don't know why. And quite often we may resort to thinking the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. We've done something wrong. They're acting this way because they're feeling negatively towards me. I'm sad. I'm anxious. Or, or um, I don't like that. Why are they angry with me? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm going to be dismissive of them and avoidant. And, you know, those are the kind of the, the feelings that we can have when someone doesn't express through their words um, why they're feeling a certain way and, and what they're feeling. Yeah. Again, gold nuggets right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, because this is such a critical issue in relationships of people, mm -hmm. you know, my age, even in their 40s, they've been together 10, 20 years. The unintentional hurt, pain, and trauma that yes. these couples have gone through because of unknown neurodiversity. And, and it could be like with my ex and I, it could be autism and ADHD. One may have one, one may have the other, or one may be autistic and ADHD and it, it manifests differently than the partner's ADHD. I mean, and there's so many other um, types of neurodiversity or like in my case, you know, I had um, postpartum depression and then I had depression after our separation. You know, there's all kinds of mental health issues that you or your partner might be dealing with. And so when we don't understand that part of it might be due to neurology and, and again, so many other issues, but if we don't understand the neurology piece and you've explained mm. that so beautifully and so clearly we take things again very personally and we think that our partner isn't caring and mm. you know that is so not the case and and i've heard from a lot of autistic folks that sometimes the emotion that they're feeling inside is so overwhelming mm. like you know that that they literally rejection feel. sensitive dysphoria you know yeah. oh it's my fault oh god this is awful everything's yeah. going to fall down yeah. you know shut down meltdown <laughs> yeah. oh my ex yeah. used to say to me i cannot meet your expectations ever you expect too much of me i can't tell you how many times he has said mm. he had said that to me during my marriage or our marriage and also um things like i'm i'm not worthy or i'm not i'm i'm not good enough for you and i would i would be like where did that come from why why, mm. why did you say that and it would just turn into a fight but um you know, because I was telling him he wasn't expressing things the way I wanted him to express it. And all my friends expressed it that way. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, I'm sure when he met more people that were autistic or neurodivergent, and he could just be himself, he probably found people who were communicating exactly the way he had always communicated with me. Yes. And yeah. it was totally understood. Yes, it's just yeah. yeah, it's it's a very strange <laughs> feeling like talking to another autistic person sometimes because yeah. it, it doesn't matter what context it is, you just naturally just feel like it's a normal conversation. Like it right. is for us, it's definitely like completely normal. Right. You know, back right. and forth conversations. One person talks for two minutes, the other person listens, the other person makes a comment, then they talk about something else, and the other person listens to them. It's like very, very, very clear 
um and a lot of words about emotions as well it's not like we we, we just don't exist in an emotional plane you know we can we will express how we're feeling and in what ways that made us feel um i'm just thinking like in order to give kind of a bit of a practical um example of you know how you can definitely very easily get get around cognitive empathy differences yeah go ahead you're feeling you're feeling something perhaps you come home from work um you know obviously these these patterns of communication do feel very clunky mm -hmm. and to, to some people they can actually feel incredibly unromantic and oh, unideal yeah. because you want your partner to feel what you're feeling just yeah. naturally and pick up on it and do the right things and everything like that Excellent. and it's 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 just not really something that's going to happen um and so the the way that we do it is you know you'd walk in from home from work you've, you've not had a good day you feel pretty down anxious whatever um your artistic partner would say are you okay um and instead of saying yeah i'm, I'm all right like sad a tough day you would say you know you, you you would be honest about what and how that what happened how it made you feel everything like that um and then the autistic partner might say what can i do to help and you tell them exactly what would help mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and then and then they would help you mm -hmm. um a situation that that happened in one of my past relationships that um is not the way of doing it is um if i'm acting angry and irritable and uh, annoyed at you come over and give me a hug come over and and caress me and make sure that i'm okay mm -hmm. because you know it's not a nice thing to have negativity directed towards you and then for that person to expect you to kind of openly kind of go over to them make sure that they're okay and give them a hug and what while they're feeling those those emotions towards you so it yeah. wouldn't work in that situation you know it's you can't have the negative feelings towards that person right and then have this set expectation of what they need to do to to, to make you feel better you know it doesn't it doesn't work like that necessarily but um does that make sense it does it makes sense and it's again you you're like a fly on the wall of my marriage so i would say to my ex if i'm crying the best thing that you can do is hug me and smart man that he was when i was crying it might be because of something that happened at work but chances are it was probably a conflict we had in our relationship he would ask sure. me do you need a hug and I can't, I never even thought about it from his perspective. That must have been difficult for him to give me a hug when I was spewing out negative things towards him. So, yeah. 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 Well, that's just I, a human thing. You know, it, it, I'm just giving it as an example because, you know, you could take what I said about, you know, how you get around that thing and just use it for every single situation all the time. Mm. But situations yeah, but where there's conflicts and negative emotions toward each other perhaps not the best time to like to enforce that they must do this thing to make you feel better right and <laughs> instead that's where i should have been able to do some uh self-soothing gone for a walk gone for a ride in the car called a friend mm -hmm. you know and and i think that's so important you know you have a lot more self-awareness at 26 than i did at 26 or even 46 <laughs> and and i see that with i'm my an old daughter. soul 
Yeah, there you go. You, I think you are. And so is my daughter. She's 26 too. We've had this conversation and she has such, you know, part of it is I've been sharing with her everything that I've learned over the, you know, 26 years she's been my child, but she didn't have to absorb it. And so I see her in her relationship and she is very different than I was with her father. You know, the patience she has, you know, the curiosity, the the kindness and the compassion and giving space. She just handles things very differently with her partner. And they've been together almost four years now. And, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time with them and I see that over and over again. I'm so proud of her. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure your mother's proud of you when you share how you handle things. None of us are perfect, Thomas. And no, no I'm not, and I'm not either. And no. you know, I'm, I'm happy with sharing that, you know, um, when I was younger, I used to have a very highly anxious attachment style. Mm, a lot of too. a lot of emotional issues around everything. Mm-hmm. Little small things used to upset me a lot. Um, nowadays, you know, going through these experiences of miscommunication, being misunderstood, and having all of these difficult situations that you know really have a very simple remedy. Um, you know, I, I'm perhaps a little bit more avoidant than I should be sort of in life and you know i'm not i'm not like the perfect shining autistic partner you know (laughs) there's there's definitely aspects to me in the course of like years of you know being in a relationship that that, they're not the best and sure um i don't think anyone's completely you know just this shining god of no compassion all the time in every situation always patient always willing to give positivity despite being interacted with negatively you know it's it's right wanting to throw something right yeah no absolutely Mm. but but the thing is and and again i wish i had your emotional intelligence at your age um i think that we all can learn new ways of functioning in our relationships, whether they're friendships, family relationships, Mm. or intimate relationships, but some people don't want to, and that that's okay too. That's okay too. And so, you know, you can say there are differences because we're different neurotypes, but there's also differences because you have different attachment styles. You have different, right. Different personalities, (laughs) different families of origin, different toxicity that you were raised with. I mean, there's just so much, but you at least may know those are things that your partner experienced and when you don't know that your neurology is so different, you're expecting things from them that they, no matter what neurotype you are, that they may not ever give you. Like, I know when my ex said, you know, I just want to be with somebody that I can sit on the front porch with and be silent. Mm. That's not going to be me. <laughs> that would not be Mona. Now, could I be silent for 15 minutes? Maybe. But not much more than that. And so mm. um, that you know, you have to, you have to know yourself and then you have to really understand, you know, what your partner can change, can, you know, really change what they want Mm. to change and what this is never going to change. And I think that's a hard thing for a lot of partners who've been together for years and years and years. Mm. Um, They want their partner to change. And then that would make the marriage or the relationship so much better. No, no, because if your partner doesn't want to change and they're changing for you, 
oh my gosh, there's going to be so much it's, resentment. It's never going to be long term. <laughs> well, it's, no. You know. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's, it's not it's, good. You know, um, I, and I, I've, you know, recently gone through like a quite a very, very strange breakup, but I, I, I understand it fully. You know, it's, I think, I think some people, they, they just don't have the capacity to remember that they're talking to someone who is different mm -hmm. and that they're interacting with someone who is different. Mm -hmm. And a lot, a lot of, you know, if, if you are seeking um, understanding about a situation, which, you know, particularly with um, an, an autistic partner or a neurodivergent partner, that, that, you know, the person that you're confiding in doesn't understand, you can get a lot of, um, you know, like very unhelpful advice about mm -hmm. what's happening you know like yes i i sometimes i need to not talk to somebody if i'm upset with them for a bit and then talk to them after mm -hmm. um it doesn't mean that i'm being difficult mm -hmm. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't mean that i'm trying to annoy them i'm trying to punish them um it's literally just some some time um yeah. and people people do forget that you you work differently and especially in the the midst of conflict or arguments or negativity right um so always being able to kind of take a breath have some yeah. time apart maybe yeah. think about it be like okay what's happened <laughs> yeah. um okay yes they are autistic they they do feel different ways to me and have different ways of understanding things and different ways of communicating um and and just really bringing yourself back to that during times where it just feels like like things are just very you know you want to be impulsive about it and and express really heavily like you know some sometimes it's it's you know it's it's definitely understandable about doing that but it's not always the most helpful thing yeah and I agree. it can it only takes one bad interaction where both people are unwilling to budge for it to just end and yeah. be gone you know right well and, and thomas you know i know we've talked a little bit about you know i know you had a, a longer term relationship and it recently ended and i'm 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 so sorry and i know you know there's a healing process yeah. and, and everything yeah. and you learn you learn from every relationship and i understand that it's it's it's, it's about the miscommunications I, I i very much sure. do and there's a lot of different factors involved in it and you know sure. some personal things that i don't really want to um, sure. to go into too much right. um right but yeah i i is you know it's, it's tough it's the miscommunication and yeah things like that it really does just you know it, it only takes something like that and and lack of patience lack of compassion impulsive decisions for things just to fizzle you know yeah and um, and I'm guilty of that in my marriage, you know, Thomas, um, you know, I, I decided that I wanted a separation because my ex was in a very, very negative place. And it was very, very difficult for me to hear the negativity over and over and over again. And I couldn't imagine myself living with that for the rest of my life. I mean, I was in my 50s. We were both in our 50s. And now I understand the negativity, I understand what was going on. And I've talked about it on some other podcasts, but, you know, understanding doesn't necessarily lead to healing, but it can, it can, and it can lead to 
that compassion and giving somebody space when they ask for it, not taking things personally. I mean, there's so many things that we've talked about that I know are going to be helpful. And I, I wanted to end with one other thing because we said we would address this and I know this is a critical issue that, and that's the understanding intimacy and the sensory issues, because Mm. I hear this again, over and over again, you know, so many couples and I recommend, I have a few sex therapists who've been on the podcast who work specifically with neurodiverse couples, because when you don't know that you're a neurodiverse couple, and your partner is rejecting you. And it may be because, you know, your deodorant, your perfume, some scent. Mm. You know, they don't like to I had it. a date recently about, <laughs> you know, with that, the person put on a lot, a lot of perfume. I did not want to go near them. Like, uh-huh. didn't matter okay. if I found them attractive or not, but they, <laughs> they just yeah. have this. Yeah, it was just so, way too much. <laughs> yeah, and how would we know? I mean, like, I remember my daughter was in school and one of her teachers said none of the kids could wear perfume to class and I'm like what this is before I knew about autism and neurodivergence like they can't tell you not to wear perfume to school well they were probably they probably had some sensory sensitivities that it could have been related to neurodivergence it could not have been but it was very very important for the kids not to do it and you just have to respect that but let's talk a little bit about what you think would be most helpful for the listeners uh, to understand around physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, and sensory issues. And you can go, you know, as deep as you want, or we can do it surface. I'm, mm. I'm good with whatever. Sure. Um, I'd say that, you know, def- definitely the important thing to know is that, you know, each person has their own sensory profile. Mm-hmm. And sensory profiles are kind of a bit more nuanced than just saying someone is hypersensitive or hyposensitive. So... You know, um, for example, um, soft touch, very, very hypersensitive to that myself. Mm -hmm. Not always something that I would like. Mm -hmm. Um, Heavy, heavy pressure, heavy touch, um, very relaxing. Mm -hmm. So a a lot of the the things that I say to um, anyone who is kind of struggling to get their autistic partner into a state where they, they can be intimate, um, maybe offer to give them a massage. They may not like massages. There might be other things that you can do. You might could give them like a, have a, a big hug or like some something along those lines that, um, number one, it, it will relax them a lot more and it will also get them used to, you know, feeling being touched and also, um, you know, might might make them feel a bit safe because, you know, as autistic people, we tend to be very prone to anxiety. And sometimes intimacy can be a, a stressful thing because there's a there's a lot of indirect communication that's involved in it. Yes. Like a very, very heavy amount of it. And they may not want to do something wrong. They may um, not feel able to say when they don't like something. Um, again, it, it all comes back to the direct communication um, yeah. about things. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people feel, a lot of people in general feel comfortable being direct and communicating about certain things. Um, I, I know a lot of men who probably would feel somewhat hurt or discouraged if someone was to say, I don't like that. Could you do it this way? You know, right, right, <laughs> um, right. Um, 
and 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 there is also you know an aspect of you know if if they really haven't had a lot of experience with that or perhaps you haven't been communicative about it for a long time that they may just not want to engage with it um and they may not enjoy it even mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. because of those aspects so you know say safety feeling safe feeling able to communicate is very very important and also knowing what the hypersensitive is hypersensitivity is like is it varied based on their mental health at the moment what they're feeling mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. perhaps sometimes hypersensitivities can be nice um, mm -hmm. if someone has the capacity to experience that mm -hmm. hypersensitive sensation um, so if someone's really depressed had a really hard day really um, anxious really overstimulated um, perhaps not being as you know not doing those those hypersensitive things um, might be might be best mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. and where they might prefer to be you know in a weighted blanket you know sitting on the couch with some tea or whatever rather than <laughs> being intimate yeah yeah and 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 I mean I think that again that's going to be so important to so many folks that are listening because what you said about you know a, a dude a guy being told what not to do can really mm. be kind of a put off and it can be a blow to the ego so i always oh, yeah. tell I, I always tell folks you know of course if it's somebody you're dating and you're hooking up with them you may not have this conversation ahead of time but if it's your partner that you've been with a while you know I would not recommend having this, these conversations in bed while you're being intimate. I would highly recommend having these conversations ahead of time. But I if think negative, I, yeah. Right, right. Well, yes, right. Um, or your preferences, because, you know, when we're in the flow, we're just going to do the things that we've always done or felt good. And maybe they, you know, haven't really felt good, but our partner hasn't felt comfortable saying that to us. So, you know, yeah. the way in which you say these things, I think, is so critical. And I always tell folks, tell your partner what you like. And let them know how much that that means to you. So if you are hyposensitive or you're hypersensitive and you like light touch or you like uh, harder touch or you like certain things to be in the room or you don't want light and you can't look at your partner's eyes mm. or mm. whatever, you know, letting them know ahead of time what you like, I think sometimes can go over a lot better. And then if there are things they're doing that you don't like, um, those are things you probably don't necessarily want to say while you're in the moment and tell them ahead of time that too. But if you can counter it with a few nice things, I think that that's going to go over a lot better. And I, even if you are saying something negative, I think just saying, you know, that you're, you're open for criticism from their end as well. Yes. You know, saying, is there yes. anything that I can do better? There um, you go. You know. You yeah. know, so it, it evens the playing field it's, it's less about them not doing something good it's it's just about you know because everyone's different you know right. and everyone likes different things and there's also so, some nuance to it you know for a long time i would say that i don't like kissing people you mm -hmm. know i like pecs i don't like kissing people mm -hmm. um, but really what the issue was is that i don't like french kissing i don't like mm -hmm. the dogs mm -hmm. uh, too much I, overstimulating awful um and so like 
<laughs> saying to someone, oh, I, I, I don't like kissing. That's like, right. You know, oh, okay. So what? Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. um, but um, no, but it is it's just those those little things about it. And, right. you know, uh, if in my relationships, if I've told people that, you know, I don't like the, the French kissing stuff, um, and they, and they don't do that, then that's great, and I'm I'm all good. <laughs> right, right, and and it, isn't it isn't it better to let your partner know that you like kissing, but not French kissing, so they know that they're not putting you in a place of distress or making you uncomfortable, and they then have better boundaries on what your physical intimacy needs are. But we're so afraid to have these conversations, Thomas, because yeah. we're afraid of hurting our partner. And I hear from, you know, women, not necessarily neuro, neurodivergent or autistic, but women in general who've said, I've never liked sex or, you know, it's never been enjoyable to me. And I'm, I look at them and I'm like, oh my gosh, my heart and soul goes out to them because I can't imagine, <laughs> I can't imagine that. But the thing is, they've never felt comfortable talking to their partner about what they do like, or they've yeah. never gotten in touch with that themselves. So they don't know how to communicate it. So I, I always, yeah. I always think it's very, very important for us to, to figure out what we do enjoy and what we do like, yeah. and, and then to be able to communicate that to our partners. And when our partners mm. tell us we don't, they don't like something, don't try to talk them into doing something they don't like. And I, I think as well, like a lot of people are kind of hesitant about it, but I think you'll, you'll find that if like, even in the kind of the casual, or you just, just meeting them kind of situation, if, if you like doing that, um, actually like talking about it beforehand, it yes. does go a lot better than you think it would. And yes. it actually can put people in the mood, just, just like speaking about it. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. No. Thomas, I did that with a guy I was with recently. We had a, many conversations on the phone and by text and telling each other what we enjoyed and what we like. And when we got together, it was absolutely fantastic, you know, because yeah. and that gives had... certainty. Yeah, certainty. They're like, oh, I know that this person likes this. I will do this and that, that. And the other person with it, they, they do that and that. And it kind of it's it goes goes back to that idea of like oh it's not romantic like it's not like those ho like Hollywood movie right. um, intimate situations where they they just get in from like going on the night out and they just like press against the wall and they're like is in and they're like <laughs> knocking stuff off the table and like it's yeah. <laughs> it does not I, need I've to never be had like that, that experience before Thomas neither. <laughs> I don't think I would want that. <laughs> I don't think I, that does very, not. Yeah, go ahead. That is not the ideal. Like yeah. it doesn't need to be the ideal. Um, right. That's right, not right. what you need to shoot for. Like I, you'll find that just actually asking people what they like and sharing some knowledge about it beforehand. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's never been a negative thing for me. Yeah. Um, no, me either. Me either. And, and, and I, I think if there are certain things that you do like, um, being clear about that before you get intimate with the person that you're interested in is really important. And this mm. may be TMI, but I'm just going to say it um, because yeah. I've, I've gone out with so many men in the last seven years. Um, so one of the guys that I was, um, we did video chat and he said to me, do you like spanking? 
And I said, not really. And he goes, well, what about spanking your partner? I said, no, not really. <laughs> and you should yes. have seen, you should have seen his face because he really, we, we were getting along and we really liked each other. I think we did a few video dates. It was during COVID. Mm-hmm. And because I said no, either way yes. to being spanked or spanking him, um, I said to him, it, it sounds like this is a really important thing to you. And it's not something that I'm going to engage in on any deep level. So if that's <laughs> really important to you, then you've got to decide if you want to see me again. And I didn't hear from him again. And, and it's so interesting because one of the, one of the guests I've had on the podcast, and I think I've talked about this a little bit, his name is Michael John Carley. You may be familiar with Michael John. He's written two books. And one of the books was about, he's autistic. And he's, mm-hmm. I want to say around my age, might be a little younger. And um, one of the books is on sex. And he says in the, in the book that um, BDSM is very popular among autistic yeah, individuals because yeah, the yeah. rules are so mm-hmm. explicit. clear and explicit. Like, and I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, I think if you if you if you're wanting to get into a situation where you're intimate with someone and there's stuff that you really don't like you 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 can either experience the things that you don't like and say about it after or you could just be you just communicate about it right you know like someone someone that (laughs) that i was having a long-term relation you know getting into a relationship with um they asked me you know do you like scratching and do you like biting and things mm-hmm. like that and i was like no like mm-hmm. if you do that that is just complete no boundary don't do that to me like <laughs> this is yeah. not something that i like and um then they just don't do it and it's not an issue you know right. um right right and 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 also it, it it doesn't necessarily have to be things that you know talking in the context of that area of things they be the bdsm area of things it's you know, um, there could also be things that you don't like to do to someone else as well. Right. And if if perhaps you do, if if you know you feel safe enough and you know them well and you you know you, you do feel safe in that situation with them, then perhaps maybe you might do it now and again. Right. Um, but then, you know, that you you might need for them to show you some affection after if that's right. something that they want. Um, so it's right. and and as you said it's it perfectly said you know the the rules around it is the 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 biggest takeaway from that because you know they do have a lot of rules and they do need to communicate about it because there are some things that most people don't like you know <laughs> yeah and you yeah. you need to be aware that the some things that they might like um are not typical and right. um so you right. need to know but you should do that even if you're not, you wouldn't consider yourself to be part of that group. It's, I agree. Yeah, you know, mm. I agree. And and the more, again, the more we understand about our partners, the the more clear, concise communication we can have on both sides. Hmm. Thomas, I I wish that I had been a more clear and concise communicator during my marriage because I know I flooded my my ex husband. I so overwhelmed him. He is a very intelligent man. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It just, 
I was all over the place, you know, with my emotions and my communication. And I am so much more clear and concise in my communication now in relationships and specific. Mm -hmm. And it's so much, it's, it's so, it goes so much smoother, you know, I know. I could say from the opposite, I could say from the opposite side, you know, perhaps, you know, I, I should use a few more softeners, should have used a few more softeners with my language Mm -hmm. when I was younger. Um, you know, when I'm being direct about things, perhaps, you know, I was taking people not being direct with me as, as being, as lying to me, being untrue, you know, there's, it can go both ways, I think. And it's, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really come across a lot of autistic people who kind of talk about these things. And I think it is really um, important for us to at least have something out there that we can kind of go like okay hey you know um, this is the way that I might interpret my neurotypical partner to be um, and it's not necessarily that way you know it goes two ways and that that, that I suppose with all relationships everything is a, a two-way street yeah I I agree and every single topic that we've talked about I know is going to be really helpful to both partners out there and I really think oh I there's no doubt in my mind because we have touched (laughs) on the repeat issues that come up in every single couple support group that I do and I've been doing them I don't know a year and a half now and um we touched on on the majority of the things that are have been constant conflicts and have caused so much unintentional hurt and Mm. You know, I think that the more your generation seriously educates the world, I think the more we're going to understand what we need to change the way relationships are done, the way the workplace is done, the way, um, you know, community work is, I mean, there's so many Mm. things that we've been doing forever and ever that are based on that neurotypical brain. And those folks that are different than us, we bully, we criticize, we judge, we treat poorly, and that's got to stop. But it also goes on in relationships. And it, it, I mean, I, I know that I sometimes bullied my ex because I didn't think he responded fast enough to me or he couldn't make decisions or there's so many things. Mm-hmm. Again, I've apologized. And I'm sure but... he was, he bullied you for not being logical and being too emotional. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> both ways. So, so well, I, Go ahead. you know, as you said, like if, you know, the people out there, whether it's within your your group, you know, maybe we could do like a, a Q&A session sometime if it's if it has much demand where, you know, if someone wants to talk to, um, you know, I think we'd be a proper like power duo, you know, for you uh, from your yeah. side of things and me from mine. And we could talk about things and answer questions. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. That kind of I thing. would love Just, it. Uh, I would love it. So people are going to hear this. I'm, I'm not going to take that part out. People are going to hear this. I'm sure there's lots of folks that would want to attend that. So I'll follow up with you. And we'll, we'll do that. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any words of wisdom before you tell folks where they can contact you? Because Thomas, sure. this conversation has been so phenomenal. There's so much gold in our conversation. So any other words of wisdom or thoughts and then how yeah. people can reach you? 
I think, you know, in the context of talking about relationships, it's really important to shed some light on um, some of the stats around autism. Mm -hmm. There is a very overwhelmingly amount of loneliness among autistic people. Yeah. Um, a lot of autistic people want a relationship. They can't get one. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of, you know, hurt. There's a lot of negative experiences with bullying, uh, difficulty, discrimination, ableism, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. um, that happen at multiple stages throughout our lives, as well as very, very high rates of mental health, um, as well as uh, addiction, anything mm -hmm. that you can really think of. And mm -hmm. that's not to put you off um, being with an autistic person, but it, I think it's really important to, you know, when you find that there is a particular behavior that is unfavorable to you and, and they're perhaps being a bit hurtful to, you know, just understand that living as an autistic person in this world, it's, it's, I'm not saying excuse their behavior, but right. um, it is hard. It is so tough. It is heartbreakingly difficult for the majority of autistic people that are out there. And, you know, a lot of us, we don't, we don't even want to acknowledge it. We don't want to reach out and talk about it because we don't often don't feel like we can be really understood and accepted for the way that we are and, you know, the way that we behave, the way that we feel and think. Um, and it can be quite a lonely experience. So, mm. you know, at least talking about stuff like that, um, mm -hmm. acknowledging that, that that could be the case. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, your husband masking and stuff like that. You know, it could well be that that person that you're with, you know, they, they haven't shared all of these negative emotions that they have towards themselves, towards other people, um, the mechanisms, the, the, the unhealthy mechanisms that they may have in long-term relationships, friendships, anything like that, um, because they don't feel safe enough. And yeah, sometimes being that person to open up and ask them about their experience of life and really trying to picture yourself going through, um, that similar experience of being alienated and rejected from society, you know, um, that can be absolutely life-changing and affirming for a lot of autistic people. Even if you don't fully understand what it's like and you, you can't understand how it happens and, you know, just be, being aware that this stuff is very real and it's very out there. You only have to do a Google search is incredibly important. Um, yeah. And yeah, you know, it's, 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 it is tough. And uh, with the loneliness, isolation, things like that, perhaps the social skills are not up to point. Perhaps we do have defensive mechanisms and stuff. Um, and they may not want to work for it, but they, they may. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a reality and it's not the best for us. And we may not have the experience that you might have with relationships. Um, but just being aware that that can be the case for a lot of us, I think is, is really useful. Mm. Um, yeah. That was, again, more information that is going to be, I think, life-changing for folks. And I say this 
in again all the support groups i say <laughs> you know for those folks that are not autistic and yeah. they know their partner is now you know they know now their partner is autistic mm. and think about just put yourself in their place for a moment and think about because i can't even imagine this i can't even imagine growing up yeah. and being bullied and being you know criticized and ridiculed and judged or beaten up i mean my ex told me a lot of stories about how he was treated as a kid and now i understand a lot of it um he didn't really have friends and you know part of that i think was a protective mechanism because he didn't want to get beat up he didn't want to get bullied he didn't want to get hurt yeah. i understand and that that stuff comes into your most intimate relationships because you don't real. Right. You don't know if you can really if you can really feel safe. And I know that I did not always make him feel emotionally safe. Absolutely. I did not. And I think a lot of partners don't because they don't know what it is they can or need to do. And that's where a counselor or a therapist can help. But what you're saying is, you know, it kind of made me tear up a little bit because when when you're lonely, that oftentimes leads to depression. I know suicide rates among autistic and neurodivergent folks are just through the roof. And Even in childhood, it's like yeah. eight times more likely is for children. It's, it, it's I can't awful. even I can't even imagine. And when your parents don't understand you, or the parent that does understand you doesn't engage with you, and there's just so many things, Thomas. I, yeah. I I think we definitely will do um, that Q&A. We'll do a, a Zoom call or a workshop or something. I think it's going to be really helpful to the yeah. to the world. And where... Go ahead. I'd like to leave it on a little bit of a positive note. I was, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, with that, also, you know, if you are that person for them, like, it may be the only time in their life that someone has, like listened and understood their experiences as something that's real and something that has very core roots to them. And I know it can be hard sometimes to think about, especially if, you know, it's considering that a lot of us are kind of very stoic and we work hard and we're very interested and we focus on things. Uh, we may not seem like we really have that side to us, but we definitely do. Um, and you can be that person who uh, can open them up and help them feel validated in their experiences on this earth it's it can be extremely um lovely and amazing to have someone who who does treat you like that mm -hmm. Ugh, i love that and that's how i felt about my ex-husband i feel like he is a special human being <laughs> um, I really do. And I am thankful for every moment we spent together. I've learned so much with him and, you know, since our marriage ended and it's my mission, just like your mm. mission is to do the work that you're doing. It's my mission to help couples all over the world understand that, you know, the pain is real, but there is hope. And there's an opportunity to understand each other better and accept each other and decide, you know, if the relationship doesn't last, okay, it doesn't last, but there doesn't have to be bitterness. There doesn't have to be anger. There doesn't have to be, you know, constant judgment and conflict. So that's my goal. And I know you're doing amazing work too. So where <laughs> do people find you hmm. so um, that they can hear more about 
you know, your story and hear you on your podcast and Instagram, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, I would say that, you know, it would be good to kind of in the in the description if you when you're doing your write up and stuff, if you can put my link tree that pretty much has everything. Okay. My website, my Instagram, my podcast, my YouTube channel, um, everything like that. The best place to contact me if you want to um, work for me or have me for, for an interview or you want to ask um, ask, ask something of me, um, my email would be hi at thomashenley.co.uk. Um, if, you, if you just want to send in some love, send some questions, make some comments, view my, you know, I produce daily, well, I have been producing daily blogs for the past seven months, taking a bit of a break at the moment. I do blogs, reels, podcast clips, everything, um, as well as um, my podcast releasing weekly episodes um, on all podcasting platforms. That's a 40 OT podcast, um, as well as some shorter, more digestible clips over on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Your work is phenomenal. I mean, it really is phenomenal. And you are sharing so many important messages with the world. And it has been an honor to talk to you on your podcast and to have you on my podcast. And I look forward I likewise, to Likewise, Mona. Thank you. <laughs> I, I wish I could give you a hug. <laughs> I don't know if you like hugs, but I'm a hugger. No, I'm a hugger. Okay. As long as it's not like a light hug, it needs to be like no, I do deep hugs. oxytocin. <laughs> oxytocin releasing 20 seconds deep pressure you know oh yeah <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm all in with the the oxytocin releasing hugs the so thomas thank you so 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 much i appreciate it